0: Well,
1: Hare Krishna devotees, we're going to start on time, um, and with, this is a, a new series that we're starting today um, as part of the Tatva series that um, Pamanava Swami started get, having different devotees give class, so we have something going on every day, and it's an opportunity for us to um, get to know the Sangha. So this new series is interviews with um, modern-day sages, the beauty and the messiness of the sadhaka's journey. And (laughs) we're going to be interviewing different devotees um, along the way here. And Sumatai is going to be our first um, victim. I mean, our first. (laughs) I knew she was going to say that. (laughs) and so she's she's definitely nervous it's like she's going totally out of her comfort zone and this experience is going to help her talk about the messiness and the beauty of the sadika's journey so um, the reason that we Well, the reason that I came up with this idea to do this was, well, for one, I'm lazy. And Pavanava kept asking me to give class. And I was like, it's too much work. Giving a class every week, it's just, it's a lot to prepare for. So um, I was trying to think of a way to get out of it. And this idea of doing (laughs) interviews (laughs) came into my mind. I don't have to do much. I just have to... um, Ask some questions. questions and let the other person do all the talking. So, um, yeah. So, due to my laziness and also the desire to, to have a format that will help devotees get to know each other. Um, so this will help. You know, hopefully, at some. I don't know how long the series will go. If it's a success. Um, It might go on for a while, if it's a bomb, this might be the only month we're going to do it, but we'll see, we'll we'll just launch it today and see how it goes, so I want to thank all of you for um, being here and participating, we we are um, streaming on to Facebook, somehow Krishna helped me be able to get that working, Um, so we're good to go so i'm going to start by introducing sumati um she is i'm going to read a little bio of her um and then we'll launch into our, our interview whoops so sumati was born in 1942 probably before any of us here (laughs) on the call were born. um, And she was the eldest of three children. Um, Her father was an extreme disciplinarian and he was very disappointed when after years of hard work to provide her with a good education, she pursued a spiritual path. She moved into a small Hare Krishna preaching center in Washington, D.C. in 1970, and she was initiated by Srila Prabhupada in 1971. And for the next 23 years, she lived in a number of centers in the U.S. engaging in a variety of services such as book distribution, D.D. Seva, opening preaching centers, whatever the need was at the time. And in 1993, due to physical and emotional challenges, Sumati left her life in the Hare Krishna movement to find a more authentic way of being. And after 10 years of engaging in different physical and mental healing therapies, she took a hold of her Japamala and the Srimad Bhagavatam again. Then, for some years, she cared for devotees with physical challenges and helped a few of them pass from this world. So during that time, she discovered the lectures of His Holiness Swami Tripurari, and realized he was an essential shiksha guru for her. And that was in 19, that was 2013. And she moved into a community of his followers in North Carolina. So that's her little bio and The way that we're going to structure the interviews um, is to kind of bring out, as we said, the journey of the sadhaka and correlating it with um, the hero's journey that um, um, Joseph Joseph Campbell had presented in his works. And it's the stages that a hero goes through, and we're not gonna go through a very, a extremely detailed um, stages that he has, but he has three main divisions that the, that the hero goes through. And the first is is the departure from the world, um, leaving the ordinary um, to, to do something extraordinary, basically, um, and then, Within that leaving of the world, there's often um, a fear a fear that comes in and uh, return back to the world again, maybe once, twice, thrice before the the hero actually gets the courage to go forward into the next stage, which is the initiation stage, which is a long stage of um, really becoming a hero in terms of. Becoming courageous and fearless. Um, And it's this stage that the hero meets with all kinds of adversity. Um, And oftentimes, when and when how we're correlating this to the sadhaka's journey, because the sadhaka is a true hero, and we do run into so many um, obstacles and adversities on this path. And sometimes, it's it makes a devotee feel that they can't, that Krishna doesn't love them. They're being punished. Um, I've heard so many different things from devotees that you know this that you know I've given my life to Krishna. Why would he treat me like this? So coming to understand, just like in a hero's journey. That Joseph Campbell really illuminates how it's the adversity, it's the suffering, it's the struggle that transforms the, the heart into um, to, to something wonderful and, um, and superhuman. So we become superhuman transcendental souls, realize our our soulness um, instead of just our humanness um, by going through this, um, the the fire of ordeal. And so I'm hoping that this series can really bring this out um, and be a faith building tool for everyone because it's guaranteed that we're all going to face challenges on the journey. There's just no way of getting around it. It's, it's Krishna's way of helping us to grow and come to Him quickly. I was, I was actually thinking this morning how that saying that um, don't make a mount uh, a molehill out of a mountain. Okay don't make a mole don't make okay. a mountain no don't make a mount, molehill into a mountain no. so and i was thinking how our karma is like a mountain and krishna's taking that mountain and making it into a molehill and so it's it's a concentrated um, it's concentrated karmic reaction that krishna is extracting the essence and finding ways to get us to be able to learn the lessons we need to learn in a very concise and quick way. It's like turning the fire up on, on the stove. He, he definitely does that. To, and so if we should know this when we're signing up for... <laughs> because we, I mean, we don't know it when we're signing up, and maybe it's a good thing we don't. It's kind of like, you know, it's just for the guests. Anyway, well, <laughs> One of one of Guru Maharaj's jokes, um, but um, so so yes, so to be able to see that, to see the struggles in a different light, to see it as something to embrace rather than something to be afraid of, and to to think that we're being punished actually, it's Krishna's really his loving embrace, um, and being able to see it from that vantage point is a game changer for devotees. So I'm just really hopeful that that's what this series is going to do. And my my dear friend here, Sumati, she's this is a challenging challenging moment for her, but um, she's going to do just fine. And everybody, send your loving energy to her. So (laughs) So we're going to start with the departure from the world, and. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you. Um,
2: Departing from the world was not too difficult for me because I never really liked the world. I never uh, felt real safe. Even as a child, I I, lived in a neighborhood with other children that were very um, cruel and nasty and... um, my father was a very heavy disciplinarian and I just did not like the world. <laughs> I did not feel safe in the world. And, uh, you know, I learned to not express my emotions, not tell anybody how I really felt, just to try to please everyone so that I could get by. <laughs> And somehow I got through high school and um, and college. And uh, um, I knew even when I graduated from college that there wasn't anything I really wanted to pursue or do. Nothing really called to me. I just I wanted to find something purposeful and meaningful and something that would touch my heart and um, that I would know, oh, this is it. This is this is my calling. <clears throat> and a couple of years after graduating from college, I you know was reading um, you know books of Herman Hess and um, C S Lewis and <laughs> I had a list, but I can't find it. Reading about lives of saints and th- those kind of things inspired me. And um, I had become a vegetarian. I was practicing yoga asanas for hours a day and pranayama. And um, and I knew I wanted a spiritual life, but I, I didn't know what that meant, like what it looked like and how to really live it. and. Um, My boyfriend's mother was kind of like a a really inspiring person. She was a Catholic and her faith was so palpable and real and beautiful. And and I wanted that, but I didn't have it. And I didn't know how to get it. (laughs) uh, So um, my boyfriend and I were living in New York City in 1968. And I had a part-time job uptown, and I had to walk past this beautiful little cathedral every day that I worked. And I would go in, and I would just lie down flat on the floor in front of a statue of Mary and Jesus and pray to them to help me.
1: Like dundavats?
2: Yeah, like full dundervats. Wow, <laughs> it was just automatic. I did that like for you know, months, mm. and, then, and then miracles started happening. And um, I can't remember what month it was, but we were still living in New York City and I was listening to the radio one day and they were playing excerpts from the musical Hair, which at the time was playing on Broadway. And in that musical was the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And as soon as I heard it, it was just so easy to sing along with. And it was so beautiful. And immediately, I felt it in my heart. It made my heart feel happy. So I started singing Hare Krishna, like, every day for the next two years, wherever I was. I, would, I, just, I had no idea that Krishna was a name for God, that it had anything to do with anything religion. It was just my favorite song. And then in the summer of 1970, um, I was hitchhiking around Europe with a girlfriend. And uh, I taught her the Hare Krishna song too. So wherever we went, we were just singing Hare Krishna. (laughs) And... um, And her cousin had um, avoided the draft because the Vietnam War was going on. So her cousin, who was a good friend of ours, had moved to Copenhagen. So we were um, on our way to to visit him. And we had been in Amsterdam for a few days. We got a ride in a Volkswagen bus and, Whoever was driving the bus right after we crossed the border into Germany, he just parked the bus in a field and people either slept on the bus or got out and slept in the field. But I couldn't get to sleep and I was just singing Hare Krishna softly. And, um, And my friend was singing with me and then she fell asleep. And I stopped singing aloud And the whole rest of the night, I heard thousands, if not millions of angels singing Hare Krishna. It went on for hours. It was just the most beautiful. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this Hare Krishna song? (laughs) This is not some ordinary song. And the next morning, there was this... uh, this guy that was sleeping on the bus near us. And he was on his way to Israel to live in a kibbutz for a few years. And he said, really strange thing happened to me last night. And I said, yeah, me too, what happened to you? And he said, well, I was listening to the two of you sing Hare Krishna. He said, but after you stopped, he said, the whole rest of the night, I heard thousands of beautiful voices continuing to sing. So I'm like, okay, this it wasn't even just me. Somebody else heard it too. This is really powerful. So I started chant, singing even more, and I and I. That's when I started noticing, feeling protected. And um, so I, I came back to the states like a month later, and um, shortly after that. Um, My boyfriend had met a new friend at his work and we were living near Washington, DC. And he brought this friend over for dinner and this guy was asking me about my experiences in Europe. And I always mentioned singing Hare Krishna because it was just a part of every day. And as soon as I said, Hare Krishna, he was like, oh. I said, oh, do you know that song? And he said, well, I never heard of it till last Sunday. He said, "I got an invitation to a vegetarian feast in this little house on O Street, and uh, I went. And all the people that live there—they sing Hare Krishna every day, too. Like, wow!" So he gave me the address, and I don't know. A week or two later, I happened to be going into D.C. So, and to me, this next part is the most miraculous, but. Um, I was on O Street, not not near the house where he told me, but just where I could find a place to park. And I had just opened my car door and stood up. So I was out in the street and there were people walking up and down the sidewalk. And I heard a voice going, hey, you. So everybody turned, but he was looking at me. And I'm like, me? And he's like, yeah, you. Are you looking for the Hare Krishna people? Now, you know, what on earth would make somebody ask me that question? (laughs) And I said, Yeah, I (laughs) am. And he pointed down the street. He said, "Um, They moved yesterday. (laughs) And he told me where they had moved to over on Q Street. And he gave me the address there. So I drove over to Q Street and parked and knocked on the door and this beautiful young lady answered the door and said, Hi, my name is Mary. All you have to do is get your toothbrush and you can live here and be happy for the rest of your life. And come on in and meet your spiritual family. So I went inside as soon as I walked in the door this overwhelming feeling of being home and being safe. I mean, I had never felt either of those feelings before, but somehow I just knew inside of me that I was home and I was safe and I had no idea where that was, who these people were, what this Hare Krishna song was. I just knew it was home and it was safe. And um, she took me over to a table where there was pictures of um, Prabhupada and Bhakti Sadanta Saraswati Gorky Shordas Babaji and Bhakti Takor and Said, "This is your family. <laughs> He's your father and your grandfather and your great grandfathers." <laughs> and um, and I, I was just. Uh, and then she took me for prasadam, which I. Did not, I was not fond of prashadam for some time. It was so spicy and hot. I was a macrobiotic at the time. and just ate brown rice and apples. And, um, so, but, um, so anyway, I, I left later that afternoon, and I went back home. Well, not really home, but where I was staying, And when I got in bed that night, um, I literally felt like a rope had been tied around my heart. And the other end of the rope was at that Hare Krishna house and they were pulling on the rope. And I had no, I really did not have a choice. I felt like, I actually felt like I would be doomed if I didn't respond and I had to go. So I got my toothbrush. I left in the middle of the night and uh, went back to that house, knocked on the door about four o'clock in the morning, (laughs) said, can I live here? (laughs) And um, the temple president pointed to a piece of paper on the wall where it said, no meat eating, no intoxication, no illicit sex, and no gambling. He said, if you can live by these rules, yeah, you can live here. I said, "Yeah, I think I can do that." <laughs> and that was that. But um, so then, you know, the next weeks and months, I was just—I was the only woman because this girl Mary that had been there, she left the next day to go with some other devotees to open another center somewhere. So I was the only woman in this center there was maybe six brahmacharis, but they they were very kind to me and they taught me the philosophy. And, you know, I, Prabhupada wasn't there, but they would play his lectures on cassette tapes every day. At first, it took me a long time to be able to understand what he was saying, because I wasn't used to the Indian accent. But, um, and, but it was it was challenging, you know, just having to wear this orange polyester <laughs> long piece
1: of cloth. And, uh, and just, didn't you just have like one one pile everybody picked? Not at that, that time. time. Okay.
2: Because these were Brahmacharis and I was so They would have put a woman's cloth with theirs. <laughs> um, But then I had an experience with Prabhupada a few weeks later that that introduced me to him in a way that was was more real to me than just hearing about him and hearing him speak, trying to hear him speak. It was Janmas to me a few weeks after I had moved into the temple and we all went to New to celebrate. Prabhupada was there. There was, you know, probably a couple of hundred devotees from all over the country that had gone there for the festival and I didn't know anybody except these six brahmacharis and they didn't pay any attention to me once we got there. So I was just kind of like, there was one woman that was kind to me, but it was pretty awkward. And um, and then all the fasting for to me, There was no feast at midnight. You just got a half a cup of the most horrible tasting breakfast. <laughs> it was like, and then fasting the next day for Prabhupada's appearance day. I was I was feeling pretty out of it. <laughs> and um, but in the morning on the morning of Prabhupada's appearance day a devotee had given um, a Bhagavatam class. And he had said during the class, if you find yourself wanting some service to do and don't know what to do, just pray to Prabhupada and he'll send you some. So later that day, I was sitting under a tree um, trying to read Bhagavad Gita, but I was falling asleep and then I remembered and I thought, okay, so I prayed to Prabhupada to send me some service. And literally within two seconds, this girl approached me and said, oh, there's going to be some weddings this evening. Could you go in that field over there and pick flowers? And I'm like, sure. And it's like Prabhupada was with me. I I could almost see him and I could definitely feel his presence. And it was just such a powerful experience of like okay I'm doing the right thing and I, I found the teacher and this is all good and no matter how hard it is it's good and then um, yeah so
1: that, that was your your initial experience coming to Krishna yeah which is more positive than negative. Oh, absolutely! To, you know, it was very positive very experience. Positive.
2: And it got more positive once they sent me to Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, there were no other women there, so they sent me to the Boston Temple, and um, it was beginning of January seventy one, and then Prabhupada came in July and initiated me and. Um, The ISKCON press was in Boston, but they were moving to New York, so there was lots and lots of devotees, but most of them were leaving. And I was really attracted to deity service, and um, so they asked Prabhupada if I could get both initiations so I could take care of the deities. And he was, along with initiations, Prabhupada was coming to install Radhakrishna deities so um, so that happened. And um, so for the next six years, I took care of those deities and they really were the six happiest years of my life. I had so much service to do and just so much sweetness being with the devotees. And again, there were a lot of hardships. Like Boston is an extremely cold city. It's on the coast, it's north, the winters are brutal. And we didn't have any money, so the city turned off our electricity and heat. And so you know, I had to take ice six ice cold showers a day in order to do the RTs and but I don't know. I was, somehow I was in ecstasy that was just Radhagopi Balava were so kind to me and Prabhupada. And I was just really happy just. I I literally didn't have time to sleep more than four hours a night, and um, I just had so much service, but it was just sweet.
1: (laughs) I just want to interject here that um, Sumati is now voluntarily taking cold showers again. <laughs> she's been watching this wind hop and breathing and freezing cold showers. So it's it's funny, she's gone full circle. <laughs> we hated those cold showers back in ashram. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful beginning. And um, like many devotees, there were some and the hero's journey also you you began to have some experiences that were quite challenging and um (laughs) you want to speak to any of that and oh yeah and just how you've kind of dealt with them and processed them over the years
2: um i guess it started when they arranged for me well we we got a new temple president and
1: this is the messiness
2: in 1977 and previous him coming, the Boston Temple, once the press devotees left, there were really just about 10 or 10 to 12 of us, and we were all brahmacharinis or brahmacharis, and everyone was absorbed in their service. There was no conflicts. It was just a very smooth, flowing... Just everyone fitting into their place and doing their service, and everything got done. And books were being distributed, and you know we were having wonderful Sunday feast programs, and the easy service was going on, and it, it was. And then uh, one of the traveling Sankirtan parties came, and the temple president decided that he wanted to go join them. So I happen to be coming out of the temple room one day and I see the temple president looking around, sneaking down the steps with a sleeping bag under his arm and running out the front door of the temple and jumping into this bus and taking off. We never saw him again. (laughs) um, So You know, the rest of us, we just decided, okay, well, we're just going to go on. We we don't need a temple president because we're all just doing our service nicely and everyone likes their service. And But somehow some higher authorities got wind of the fact that we didn't have a temple president. And they sent one and he was a householder. And the whole mood changed and other people. householders kind of came within a week of them coming. And um, and it turned out he was uh, a very abusive person to say the least. And um, he had two wives, he wanted, um, wanted me to be the third. And I didn't want any, did not want that. But anyway, he arranged for me to marry somebody else who turned out to be extremely abusive. And um, we left Boston and moved to New Vrindavan. And it was uh, quite cultish there with uh, different departments and the management and you know, I think all over the the movement at the time. This was the early eighties. Now, shortly after Prabhupada left, and there was so much um, confusion. And um, with Prabhupada gone, and different leaders. You know, people had been appointed to t- try to follow in Prabhupada's footsteps and initiate devotees, and they really weren't qualified to step into that service and um when there were zones and you had to i don't know there was so much unrest and um, challenges really for everyone and um so for the you know the next few years i was uh well, one more year with that husband. He was, like I said, very abusive. And finally, after he beat me so badly one time that I couldn't walk for a couple of months, I uh, went to the temple president and said, I'm I'm not married anymore. I don't ever want to see this person again.
1: And I never did see him again. Um, So I just want to maybe interject here because I don't know, some of... The devotees who are listening to this, it's like, it might be kind of shocking to hear. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, um, I know. No, well, just, just because but this, but is... this was, yeah, this was the reality of the um, pioneer days of the Hare Krishna movement. Um, and one thing that I, I just wanted to say is that um, we didn't have any elders, um, really. I mean, but if you were in your late 20s, you were, I was and,
2: probably one of the
1: oldest, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was, when I was, I came at 22, and I was one of the older women, Um, so it was a time that, yeah, we were kind of trying to figure out what the teachings were, and, you know, it, there was a, there was a lot of fanaticism and there was a lot of cultish behaviors as a result of misunderstanding the philosophy and not having, not having really good um, leaders at the time and good guidance. And I feel like we all got a lot of special mercy for having gone through that, those times I I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I think yeah. that just like in the hero's journey, it's like to the degree that, well, it's also in, in asodic, it's very much in our teachings that as they surrender, unto me, I reward them accordingly. So the surrender that the devote, the, the surrender and the, um, and the austerities that the devotees performed in those early days did not go unnoticed. And I really feel there was a tremendous amount of reciprocation in the journey for us um, going through those really hard times. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's my own personal. And I'm I, I I'm just wondering what if if that's kind of how you felt about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was there was such a dichotomy of like these things happening, but at the same time. You know, we're reading Bhagavad Gita, we're reading Srimad Bhagavatam, Nectar of Devotion, Krishna book. And I mean, the philosophy itself was so beautiful and perfect. And I knew it's what I was looking for. And it just didn't really, you know, and I was taught like, oh, all of your authorities are pure representatives of Prabhupada. And I'm like, they couldn't possibly be because... I know Prabhupada would never treat me like this. So it was like dealing with this like constantly. But um, like I said, I had those six years with the deities in Boston that just solidified my faith. Mm. And then I had had that experience with Prabhupada picking flowers. And, you know, so I had things like that. And, you know, a couple experiences with the deities that just were like I could, fall back on those experiences and hold on to them and know that, you know, that I, I had to just keep going. And, that, um, and then I know at some point I got introduced to the verse in the Bhagavatam, I don't know, I didn't in Sanskrit except the first few words, to Nu kampam. But it's, you know, one who earnestly, my dear Lord, one who earnestly awaits for your causeless mercy to be bestowed upon him um, while patiently suffering the results of my past uh, misdeeds and at the same time, you know, serving you and glorifying you. So, and, and I'd read that Prabhupada said every devotee should take this verse and hold on to it and use it as a guide. That Yes, there were going to be hardships and adversities, but. Um,
1: the last line of that is so that that person, be, the spiritual world becomes his rightful proclaim. Claim. Right. So it's guaranteed that if you can just go through this and and remember the Lord, see see it, you know, we have either we we embrace it and see it as Krishna or we see it as something else and and taking another path.
2: And there did come a point where I I couldn't go on, you know, I, I just um I got married uh, a second time and um, that husband was not abusive physically. I mean, he was not emotionally present, but he was. And we actually did a lot of um, service together, um, managing preaching centers, opening preaching centers, and, um, and you know, doing a lot of college speaking in college classes he did the speaking I would just a not a speaker <laughs> and um, and we ended up in uh, Boulder, Colorado uh, managing the preaching center there and um, and then... I don't know, things just got, for me, very physically challenging. Um, My body was just wearing down from so many years of not getting enough sleep or the proper nutrition and severe back problems and stomach problems. And and then um, emotionally, um, you know, just having a really hard time. In this marriage, emotionally, and um, I, don't, I just don't want to go into detail. But <laughs> and I and I realized that you know, kind of my whole life, I kept ending up being with people that were were taking advantage of me in one way or another. And I just thought it was time to leave. Just leave that life behind and. And go into a period of healing, you know, physically and emotionally. So I did that for the next nine or ten years. And, um, you know, I had to support myself. But, you know, I just, I found, especially with a group of women in Denver, just a really loving support system and sisters One of them had also been in the movement for many years, and um, I discovered dancing and how that just brought me so much joy. And uh, I made jewelry out of semi-precious stones and supported myself mostly doing that. And um,
1: what brought you back? a miracle
2: and another Christian, miracle, <laughs> which is That's
1: a miracle.
2: It was, um, I had gotten into a relationship. <clears throat> I was back in Maryland. I had moved back to Maryland to help my parents because they were in their late eighties by that time. And I had, you know, had, had very little to do with my parents all these years, you know, for the 30, over 30 years. So um, I went back to help them. And I I had friends there, devotee friends. and um, So, um, yeah, I had gotten into this relationship and my heart was totally shattered into a billion pieces. And in the process of grieving that, I got a phone call one night from a devotee in Boston who I didn't know. I never heard of him or met him. But he just said, you know, um, it's a long story, but I will make it short. (laughs) He basically said that the deities in Boston are Radha Gopi Balaba. And he told me that Gopi Balaba's voice had awakened him at three o'clock in the morning and told him to call me and tell me to come to ba- back to Boston to see him, Krishna. And I got chills. Um, in that moment, I, I just knew with no doubt at all that Gopi Balava was God and that he remembered me and that he loved me. Mm, and... So and I found my beads. I hadn't chanted for years. I, I didn't even know where my beads were. And I just somehow, I moved probably three or four times and I just stuck my hand somewhere and there with my beads. <laughs> um, and yeah. And uh, so then I ended up Uh, taking care of one of my closest friends for four and a half years who had multiple sclerosis and cancer, and then uh, she passed away, and I got invited to come go to Alachua, Florida, to take care of an elderly devotee there, so I went and did that, and ended up taking care of a number of devotees in different places. And um, I mean, I was chanting my rounds every day and reading, but I, I wanted more spiritually. And that's when I re- realized that I, I needed a, a guide, I needed a teacher. And a lot of devotees felt that Prabhupada's books were enough for them, but I didn't feel that because I was, you know, there were contradictions in different purports and the Bhagavatam um, you know things that Prabhupada said, and then Krishna said something different in the Bhagavad Gita, and um, and then my dear friend Archana City <laughs> and um, her husband, late husband Karnamrita, uh, introduced me to His Holiness Tiruppari Swami and. So I started hearing from him and read his Bhagavad Gita, and uh, and then in 2013 I moved to um, to North Carolina to to be with Archana and Karnam and Mahara and Vitrasena and other devotees who are. You know, all over the state of North Carolina, there's quite a number of devotees who are Guru Maharaj's disciples and students. And then, you know, he came to North Carolina, so and he was just so kind to me. And um, I don't know that I'd ever had a temple authority man be kind to me before, but,
1: but he was. And... I just want to say that he was so, so kind to her. He, she has little um, Balaram and Krishna deities and Guru Maharaj just loves those deities. And um, she had him in her room at the Krishna Road Temple. We had a little, a little preaching center temple that Mahara and Mitra turned the house, one of their houses into a, a preaching center and Sumati was there doing caretaking for the deities, and whenever Guru Maharaj would come, he'd say, "I want to have lunch in Sumati's room." Because <laughs> Krishna all, and Bala are over. They just love those deities, and now we have they're here on our altar, which is awesome, and they're just really, really special deities. So. I just wanted to ask you, what do you think the most profound change in yourself has been since you've been a devotee, or, or mm. how do you see yourself differently than you were? Um,
2: well, I feel like I'm still in process, and I will be for yeah. ever. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, it's a, I, you know, I, you read so, in so many places in Prabhupada's books where Prabhupada says it's a gradual process. and um, But then Prabhupada would always say, oh, you can go back to Godhead at the end of this life. So I, I used to equate gradual with this lifetime. Now I'm <laughs> realizing that gradual can mean forever. Our <laughs> students the, the forever. Students forever, just <laughs> always.
1: Always becoming more, even more spiritual. But just
2: I you know, I think, what I notice is that my desire to love God, Krishna, mm-hmm. keeps growing. It was um, it was kind of always there, but it wasn't real. And, and now that I have more of a sense of who God is, <laughs> his mm-hmm. different manifestations, you know, from not from personal experience, but just from reading and hearing and from hearing from Guru Maharaj and now from Padmanabhaswamy and they're both so totally absorbed in Krishna consciousness that it's like having living examples of these devotees that are really advanced and really Krishna conscious because I never got to be around Prabhupada in the day I got initiated but That was pretty much it. And I had no conversation with him. And um, Now, I mean, it's just been, you know, Guru Maharaj would come and spend six weeks with us and I would get to do lots of service for him. And now we have Padmanabhaswamy staying in the tiny house and I get to do lots of service for him. and just being with these and being with in the city who's a very exalted highly krishna conscious person I, I mean i i'm so blessed i mean i'm i I I have a a gratitude <laughs> for my life now that um and i guess it's helped me i'm so grateful for what i have now and i realize that you know that I probably wouldn't have what I have now had I not gone through all the rest of the difficulties and mm-hmm. dealt with those obstacles and I told Archana the other day it, it somehow came up when we were getting the computer thing set up that I, I grew up really hating my father and um but I was able to take his ashes to to Vrindavan. And, um, And as I had the open bag of his ashes and I was just submerging it in Mother Jamuna's waters. And at that second, my heart literally burst open with love and gratitude for this man um because even though I hated him and everything he did to me and his attitude towards me, if it weren't for that, it might not have I might not have had that impetus or
0: that
2: mm. you know, to take shelter of, of Prabhupada and, and a spiritual movement. Mm. And, but for whatever reason, I, I suddenly was able to completely appreciate him and the role that he had played in my life. And um, and I can see that with, you know, all the different people that that I felt made my life miserable at one time. That um, they were all like a catalyst to help me. I guess I have to tell one little story of um, when I was in Boston, uh, I was distributing books one day at a university and I was taking a um, prashadam break, and I had a pile of books on a cloth on the ground next to me, and the Krishna book was on top. And the student walked by, and he just walked right over to the Krishna book, and he picked it up, and he started looking at all the pictures and, like, scanning the... He said, wow, I love this book. <laughs> and, um, he said, I'm a a communications major, and I have an hour-long radio show on our radio station. And this university had a huge radio station that went all over the state of Massachusetts. He said, we could do dramatic readings of these stories on my radio show once a week. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So... When I got back to the temple, I told the temple president, Satsarupa, and he was a writer. So every week he would write a script, pick a story, he would write a script. This other boy from the university, he would make a background tape with whatever sounds we needed for the story. And we did this radio show. So um, one of the stories we did was um, Krishna subduing the Kalia serpent, and um, and I, I always played the part of Mother Jasoda in whatever story we were doing, and uh, so when Mother Jasoda sees Krishna wrapped up in the coils of Kaliya, she just screams in desperation Krishna's name, and um, so a couple months later, Prabhupada was in New York, and Satsrupa took him tapes recordings of these radio shows and Prabhupada was listening to that one and when he hears mother just sort screaming he said stop the tape he said who is that and Satsurupa said oh that's Sumati and Prabhupada said you tell her to always cry for Krishna like that <laughs> so that's that's, an awesome that's just something that's you know with me it's always with me and I, I still haven't learned to really cry for Krishna, but it's, you know, that instruction is there and I'm gradually working on it.
1: <laughs> so just to kind of wrap up, we want to maybe give a few minutes for devotees to ask any questions that they might have or comments. Um, just one final thing, because that's the last stage of the hero's journey is is the return when the hero is fully transformed and able to take something back to the to the world that he came from or she came from that will help others to become more than what they are. So I, I just wonder if there's any advice or any um, anything that you would want to say to. Well
2: I'm far from being fully transformed.
1: But (laughs) I would just any advice or any 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 answer, anything you'd like to say. I would just
2: say no matter what you're going through, to keep going through it, stay on the path, follow your heart, follow your guru, and um, and Krishna will help you. know Krishna is always with us. He's in the hearts of anyone who's trying to to love him and know him and serve him and and he will always he, he will never forget you. He will always help you. And and you know now it's a worldwide movement with so many different groups and you know, and there are elders. amazing, yeah, there are <laughs> elders, there are amazing advanced souls on the planet, and um, take shelter, you know, somewhere, just stay on the spiritual path, and don't leave.
1: Thank you, Samadhi, it's really, Beautiful. And you did a wonderful, wonderful job. I, I can't tell you how much anxiety she was in about this, but she did, I think, superb. You get an A+. plus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was having a panic attack yesterday.
1: <laughs> so I just, if anybody has a question or a comment, um, you could unmute yourself. I think you can unmute yourself if not. Um, I can unmute you maybe. Anybody have anything they would like to share? got some things in the chat here.
2: That was really good, Sumati! Thank
1: you!
2: Uh, uh, you were probably praying for me, and that surely helped me. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, glad you did it. Your turn. You broke the ice for all of us.
1: Yes. Uh, Thank you, Sumati. Uh,
0: This Shamasaki. I love you, and I know you have
1: you have so many more like amazing, miraculous
0: stories of Krishna consciousness and how you've helped so many. So, thank you for being in my life.
2: I'm so glad you're in my life
1: too. (laughs) And I hope you come Mm -hmm. visit soon. I will. (laughs) Any other comments or questions?
0: Somebody, can you hear me?
1: Yes, can hear you.
0: Yeah, this is nice. thank you so much for this. This was extremely inspiring, especially those like the miraculous things, I, I love hearing that stuff, and that you persevered and came back and everything that was really, really inspiring. But I wanted to specifically ask you, you mentioned that when you served the deities for six, the the, the, the six best years of your life, you said that there were a couple instances that really solidified your faith. And I've been recently getting much more into deity worship, so I'm really interested in that. Like, what were those things that you don't mind sharing?
2: Um. Well, I was thinking of one particular time. Um, it was another miraculous <laughs> moment. <laughs> but, um, at that particular time, there was only maybe six of us in the temple and we all had the flu very, very bad. I mean, we were really, really sick. And, but the deity service had to go on and at the time, I think Satsrupa and I were the only Brahmins that could do any deity service. And, um, but he had so many other things he had to do. So I, I was doing all the deity service. And it came time for the evening arctic and then um, putting the deities to rest, changing their clothes into their pajamas, putting them to rest. And I was so sick, I mean, you know, throwing up and passing out and but I knew I had to do it so somehow I took my shower and got dressed. The second that I stepped on the altar, Krishna took my body away from me. I was an absolute, it just, I didn't have a body. I was just able to offer the RT and
1: she still had her body. She <laughs> transcended her
2: body. <laughs> but, it gave me a, I, I mean, I was in ecstasy. I mean, I was not in this world anymore. It was like, um, I was just able to do the whole service and, you know, change the deities clothes, put on their nightclub And as soon as I finished all that, I fell back in my body again and collapsed. But,
0: wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, can you ask, uh, can deities I ask you one are, more thing? Yeah,
2: deities are really, ask something? oh, I, sorry.
0: Um, I uh, heard the story that there was like a really big feast. I, I was told that it was you who was the pujari when this happened. There's some really big feast at a temple. Maybe it was in Boston or something. And then after the feast, the clothes of the deities were changed and the, the clothes that had been worn by the DD so many times before wouldn't fit anymore. Was it you? Who oh, yeah. Them? Yeah. Yeah, that I love that story.
2: Yeah, that I for, thank you for reminding me. I've forgotten that story. <laughs> yeah, it was like the morning after the the, uh, the one of the Sunday programs. And um we had a wonderful cook in Boston at the time. I mean, he with Mat- Maturesh what's his name? And um, so I went to dress the deities in the morning after bathing them and their clothes didn't fit and I'm like, what? This is crazy. Just the skirts would not snap into place. So I went and got another outfit. Nope, I would got all and they didn't have that many outfits at that time, That's but sad. none of them fit. And I'm like, okay, I had to get a, a line a row of safety pins. <laughs> i say <laughs> them together. But then the temple president didn't believe me. So, evidently, the next night he sneaked onto the altar after I had put the deities to rest and took all their clothes. And he tried, and then he believed me because they didn't, still didn't fit.
1: Two inches <laughs> too, too short. short.
2: <laughs> and just little things would happen. Like I had a desire one time for um, to have some kumkum. To put in Radharani's part because I read about how Radharani always has Kumkum kum in her part. And um, and our peacock, we didn't have a nice peacock feather fan for the RT. It was really mm-hmm. falling apart and the peacock feathers were old and but I didn't you know I looked all over Boston. I couldn't find peacock feathers anywhere and there were no there was no Google <laughs> back then. <laughs> and so one one day shortly after that a package came in the mail and it was just addressed to the pujari with no return address and inside was a container of kumkum kum <laughs> and a little mirror and that was it no no note no nothing no, no just a, a package of kumkum kum. wow. and a few days after that i, I happened to be uh, cleaning the hallway downstairs by the front door and there was a knock at the door and I answered the door and this tiny little Indian lady was standing there with two peacock feather fans <laughs> and she just said here these are for Krishna and she wouldn't come in she wouldn't She just no here these. give these to Krishna
1: so yeah <laughs> I've had so many experiences similar oh, like true, to that, you know, that. and it's really amazing just how, you know, the thought about wanting to do something for the deities and, and then suddenly it's, it manifests in some very unusual way. So, it's, yeah. yeah. I we,
2: We're all on an extraordinary journey. And just...
1: There's a lot of magic.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. even though there's a lot of... Physical pain sometimes, emotional pain, whatever. It's it's worth all of it. Just keep going. And I'm sure more obstacles are coming, but... Um,
1: yeah, and it's, you know, I always think about how these obstacles are training us for the final lesson of yeah. being able to really go through that with grace, that we can leave this world with, with faith, full faith, that it, it, we're not, not, you know, the, that the soul is eternal, right. and we're just going into another room, as Prophet said. Changing
2: our clothes.
1: Changing our clothes, or going from one room to another. I love that example, just being able to flow, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I have that, that um, desire to get to that place, and, you know. Yeah. It would be that would yeah. be wonderful. Anything else? And the last comment or question before we end the call today? Should I tell people who next week is going to be we're going to be interviewing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Vaishnava Maharaj is on for next week and um. Padmanavaswami will be doing the translation, so um, we hope that, um, yeah, everyone will be able to, the Spanish devotees can get on and hear it in their, you know, right from, directly from Vaishnavaraj. Maharaj, and the English devotees will hear the translation from Padmanavaswamy. So, and then the week after that, we have Prashangi. Um, is going to be doing it, and the final week of this month um, is Gurunishta, so um, this is our lineup, and we're putting together a lineup for next month, so you may be on that um, that lineup. We may be getting an email inviting you <laughs> to Everyone's going to get a turn, so <laughs> maybe. We'll see. We'll see how how, um, how long we can do this for. <laughs> You know depending on the feedback that we get and if devotees are finding it helpful and it's inspiring then yeah we'll keep we'll keep it up well thank you so much it was wonderful to have you all on the call and um we will see everybody soon jai jai Krishna. Krishna.
0: thank you thank you
1: jai. and it was wonderful having devotees smile and give us an Enthusiastic yeah. gestures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it helped. It really does help. It definitely helps. Arimo, chai, arimo. <laughs>